Thank you, Stu, very much. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to everybody. Welcome to those of you who are watching or listening online. Glad that you're with us as well. Uh, if you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn once again to the book of 1 John. 1 John, chapter 2, as we march along in our study of this book. Listen to what the Lord has to say to us here in John, 1 John chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse 7. This section uh, goes on down through verse 17. And we'll uh, uh, read this together and then dig into it as uh, the Lord enables us. So if you are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his, uh, hates his uh, brother, sorry, I lost my place. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. God adds his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So you can see the title of the sermon today is The New Commandment, and new being in quotation marks. When new rules are old rules, confusion rules. Or at least it might appear so at first glance. Uh, after uh, discussing the way out of the sins that so easily beset us in, in the previous uh, portion of his letter, uh, and, and by doing so, John was seeking to expose the falsehood of those teachers that claim we have no sin for which, to re, uh, for which we need to repent and for which Christ needed to die. John, after saying all that, says, but... This is nothing new. This is nothing new. 
Look at verse 7 again there. I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. I immediately thought of a couple of different passages that just sprung to mind uh, right away. Uh, it really is this, what this old commandment is all about. You that love the Lord, you that love Yahweh, from Psalm 97.10, hate evil. And in the prophet Amos, chapter 5, the prophet uh, speaking on the Lord's behalf says, hate evil and love good. So these are perhaps things that John was thinking of when he penned these words to the believers of his time. Uh, and there are many, many other examples as well throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. But there is something new here, something that is true of both God and the believer. Look at really interesting verse, uh, portion of the verse in, in verse 8 there. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. In you. God is love. We know that. Um, so that's, that's old, if you will, old news. Uh, but at the same time, there's a fresh manifestation of that love for us uh, through Jesus Christ. And as we walk uh, by faith in him, uh, our own obedience is something that is a fresh obedience to an old commandment. Uh, that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, in the former commandment, if you want to put it that way, the aspect of grace was not so obvious as it became in Christ. Didn't say it was absent, said it wasn't quite so obvious. And yet, even as we read today in our scriptural affirmation of acceptance from the book of Nehemiah, where we read of God's readiness to forgive, his grace, his mercy, uh, abounding in his steadfast love, slow to anger. All of these things speak of grace. But um, those kind of things were kind of shrouded a bit, weren't they, in the, the Mosaic Code and rituals that were there that were pointing ahead, that were laying a foundation for understanding so that when Christ appeared on the scene, he would be known to be the one who fulfilled all things. He's the one who perfectly satisfied all the requirements of the law. And so this new commandment of loving God uh, more than the world was perfectly fulfilled in him and perfectly uh, uh, demonstrated in the way that he lived and walked before man and God. And as Christ perfectly satisfied all the requirements of that, so that that new commandment, the old new commandment, is true in him, uh, confidence in our salvation becomes a certainty because it's not dependent upon our obedience, it's dependent upon his. And yet uh, our obedience then comes along to show that it's kind of the evidence that we really are in him. So before it was a command, now it's a command with hope. And that is why... John says, well, it is a new commandment. It has a, a fresh aspect to it that's encouraging. But that hope and that grace does not mean that you and I uh, have the liberty of being careless in our walk. We have a fallen world all around us that never ceases to lure us to rebellion 
and lure us to love for it rather than love for God. So the new commandment here is to love your God more than the world. And we'll see how this goes. You know, when I first was looking at this passage, I was considering stopping at verse 11 because it seems like the commandment that he's talking about is love your neighbor as yourself, basically. Love your brother. And I was going to stop there, and I just kept going, because this section has this kind of, a uh, little bit of a, a, a cut-up kind of feel. He talks about something, then he talks about something else. He's talking about love for brethren, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about children, fathers, and young men, and he repeats himself twice with those things. And then he comes to, do not love the world. And that seems like a totally different thing. But the more I read through it, and I hope uh, as we go through it this morning, you will see that uh, far from being cut up, these things are all uh, intricately related. And there is a powerful message here that all adds up to this command, which is stated in the negative uh, uh, form in verse 15, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. I'm stating it in the positive, love God more than the world. And then we'll see what the implications are of that throughout this passage. So let's dig into this. John helps us see how that love for God here is to be practiced. Now, the first section uh, is, uh, uh, as we've, we've kind of looked at seven and eight as, as introductory to what is going on. So the first way that this love for God more than the world is manifested is by seeing him. And this is in verses 9 through 11. Big emphasis here, as I'm sure you picked up on, uh, upon light and darkness and the, the contrast back and forth. So in verse 9, if you say you're in the light but you hate your brother, you're still in darkness. How do we see God? You know, the scriptures tell us that no man has looked upon God's face and lived. Um, Moses, when asked if he could look upon God, God said, no, you can't, you'll die, but I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and you can look at my back parts, whatever that means. And yet you also had the Moses and the elders of Israel that went up on the side of Mount Sinai. And as I, those of you who've been here a while know, this one of my very favorite passages. Uh, as they sit down with God and, and eat a meal. It's, it's a mind-boggling thing. But you know, what did they see? I don't know. And then, of course, you have, you jump ahead to the New Testament. And the disciples are saying, you know, Lord Jesus, uh, show us the Father. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? <laughs> if uh, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so that aspect of seeing goes, I think, beyond just the eyeballs, but really uh, observing unto comprehension and really seeing something. I I'm sure you've all uh, had people, uh, had conversations with people that maybe they were looking at you, but you felt like, there was a disconnect, like they really weren't seeing you. And it, it wasn't just about the eye contact. I mean, there would be some of that. But 
something in the way that that interaction goes, you know that they're engaged with you or not. And if you're like most people, you've probably had occasions where somebody said, are you listening to me? <laughs> you know, because you're, you're looking at them, but it's like, hello, uh, you know, and they want to wave their hand in front of your face. That uh, happens to me more often than I like. It must be somebody else's fault. Anyway, um, but that, that aspect of seeing him with understanding. And you know, one of the ways that we see him is to look upon his creation. Now, in Psalm 19, I think we're all familiar with that. The heavens declare the glory of God. And firmament shows his handiwork. And when we look at what he's created, it's just like anything else. If you look at something that someone has created, you get an idea of who they are in a way that you wouldn't have if you weren't looking at uh, that, uh, that object or thing that was created. Well, here the focus is upon uh, the brethren. Now, one of the things that the Apostle John was dealing with from the false teachers is that, if you, re if you may remember when we talked about this a couple weeks ago in the overall context of the book, is that it seems apparent that, that these false teachers were encouraging a very selfish practice of the faith that did not include love and tenderness and care for one another. And in fact, there seemed to be something that John is going to deal with in one of his other letters when we eventually get to, to that, speaking of um, a certain guy in one of the churches who loved to have the preeminence among them and was putting people out and doing all this kind of stuff, um, a despising of others. And in fact, that word uh, hates here, uh, hates his brethren, hates his brother, it has the idea of of detesting, it's not, a, um, it's not a mild word. This is a, a detestation of others, a, a rejection of others. In fact, this word is considered the opposite of the Greek word that gets translated to elect or choose. And, and, and I think God, John's implication here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, is very strongly... Uh, to basically say you are rejecting that person whom God has chosen. In other words, you think you know more God than God does about who he elects and who he doesn't. I remember, I'm sure Karen remembers it as well, many years ago we were traveling for Bob Jones University and we went to a school in I'll just say a southern state. A little tiny um, Christian school uh, that was housed by uh, and hosted by a, ch a church. And the pastor was the principal. Um, that experience cured me from ever really wanting to be the principal of the school of any church that I pastored. Um, as I watched the struggles that were there. But nonetheless, I remember he was really excited it was uh, it was a Baptist church. the The guy was really excited when he found out that we were Presbyterians. He was like, "Oh, you're Reformed? Oh, I'm Reformed too. Yep, I'm a Calvinist." And he's all he was all excited. And at the and for about five minutes, I was kind of excited too. This was kind of nice. But 
um, that was the first time in my life that I'd ever run into someone who really fit the term hyper-Calvinist. We saw it throughout, throughout the week we were there, teaching in the Christian school, as he interacted with the students. And there was, there was one, well, there were two students in particular that were uh, points of issue for him and that were really revealing about how this man thought about his relationship to God, to others, and his understanding of how God worked. And it's highly illustrative of what is going on here. One of the students happened to be the son of one of the teachers, and uh, this kid was an absolute bully. Uh, he was wicked, selfish, rebellious, everything you can think of, but the pastor wouldn't get rid of him because if he did, the kid's father said, then the mom couldn't teach anymore and he'd lose a teacher, so he decided to keep him. Um, the, uh, his basic response, at one point I, I watched him when the kid mouthed off one too many times, he, uh, he grabbed him by the front of his shirt, slammed him up against the wall and yelled at him and so on. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but basically what he told us, he said, because I, I don't remember whether I tried to correct him or you know, whatever, but he said, well, <clears throat> um, God doesn't love that kid anyway. So I don't need to worry about that. I was like, Whew, okay. And then uh, the other one, the, it was a boy who had some, some uh, learning disabilities, really struggled to read, really struggled to read. Um, and basically, it was, a, it was one of those ACE schools so that you have all the paces and things that they got, it's all based on reading and self-study. And the poor kid was just, Lost. I mean, just nothing he could do about it. Sweet, sweet tempered boy. Just wanted to make people happy. And we were doing speech stuff, teaching speech things. And he was so pleased. We gave him this little small one, one or two lines in whatever performance we were going to do at the end of the week. And so that he could memorize those things. And we're working with him, working with him. And we were, he was standing there at the desk and encouraging him. And he was struggling a little bit, but he was getting through his lines. And the pastor walked up to us and said, uh, oh, you're just wasting your time. He's an idiot. The kid's standing there. And we're like, oh, man. we couldn't get out of that school fast enough. Man, that week was a long week. But the boy stood up at the end of the week and he did his lines and I was really proud of him. Um, but that kind of hateful detestation is what this word is talking about. That kind of deciding that, yeah, uh, I know more than God does about who he's going to choose and who he isn't. And I've decided that I don't like you. I've decided that you're a problem. Um, uh, you know, and so you're out. You're done. Um, pray that God protects you from that kind of arrogant, judgmental spirit uh, against others, against those whom the Lord says he loves. Um, who are you? To say otherwise. We need to. One of the ways that you see God. Is by seeing his image in others. 
seeing evidence of his working in the lives of others and thus giving praise to him for the work that he does in redeeming our souls, giving us new hearts, encouraging us, sanctifying us, being faithful to us in spite of our failings and sins. To see him by seeing what he's created, seeing his, his image in others is one way that we see him in the light. We can claim that we're believers all we want to, but if we walk around saying, I hate that guy, or we've decided that, you know, that person is beyond God's redemption and mercy, um, we're liars. We're still in darkness. Another aspect of seeing him is seeing um, his way, and the way in which to walk, because he's in that way, and he's walking with us in it. You might remember last week as we talked about the, the way of freedom from sin that's rooted in Christ and, and noted that the Lord is the one who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. That's our, <clears throat> that's our way. He's given it to us and we see him in it. If you get instructions in your workplace about how to do a certain job, even if it's pretty mundane, if the boss comes up to you and says, well, this should be done this way, that way, and the other way, whatever the procedure is, whether it's shoveling muck or open heart surgery or whatever it might be, uh, in between, the way that those instructions are given tells you something about the one who's giving the instructions, does it not? It will tell you whether they're of an organized mind or not. It will tell you what their priorities are. It will tell you what their patience level is. It will tell you if they're going to micromanage you or not. It'll tell you lots of other things just in the way that the instructions are given. And then there's the content. It may tell you that they assume that you know everything that you need to know already and all they need to say, say to you is go. Or it may mean that they think that you don't know anything from anything and therefore you get really pedantic and you go every little detail and every little step along the way. But it tells you something about the giver of those instructions, does it not? And the Lord has given us, as we looked at last week, plenty of instruction of how to walk in holiness before him, in fellowship with him, and honoring him, and honoring others. So in verses 10 and 11, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So first of all, in that way, uh, the way that we have uh, going forward is, uh, well, let me finish reading. And then whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. So two aspects of the way here. First of all, the way in which to lead others. So that you don't cause others to stumble. You're, you know what God's will is. You know what his plan is. You know what his standards for holiness and righteousness are. And you will see him as you walk according to those things, but also see him as you, as you, I'll use this term, model him in the presence of others in your conduct and in the encouragements that you give to others so that you don't cause others to stumble. And then you will also see him as you walk with him in the way yourself. If you, if you walk in hatred and detesting others and de deciding that, you know, you're God's gift to the world, 
well, you're in darkness and you don't know the way yourself. You're going to, you're going to get lost. You need to know his way, yes, to lead others. But you also need to know the way in which you need to walk yourself. What, remember one of Jesus' criticisms of the Pharisees? And what he said to the people? What they say to you do, but don't follow their actions. And he said to the Pharisees, you're blind leaders of the blind. You know all this stuff, but you fall into the ditch because you don't know the way yourself. Perhaps John was thinking of those words of the Lord Jesus when he wrote these words here. We don't want to cause others to stumble and we want to walk in the way that the Lord has put before us. It's how we, it's one of the, the main ways that we see him and come to understand him as he has revealed himself. Well, uh, there's another aspect here, and this is in the, uh, the center section, and I hope to be able to show you the connections here, uh, particularly between the first section and the last, and I, you'll, I think you'll see when we get there how this all, uh, all flows together, uh, which uh, may not be quite so obvious when you first look at it. There's a big emphasis here on knowing God in this section. Did you catch that? Um, I'm writing to you, little children, verse 12, because your sins are forgiven. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. And then I'm, I write to you, children, because you know the father. The repetition to the fathers, because you know him. And then the young men, even though the word know is not there, it says you're strong and the word of God abides in you, which speaks to knowing him. So there's this... If we want to, if you really want to love God, you need to know him and know him in every stage of your relationship with him. When you first look at this, you think, well, he's just talking to the kids and he's talking to parents and he's talking to, well, the young men, you know, people are at the prime of their life going out and doing stuff. Um, but this is not so much about age here, I believe. I think what John is focusing upon is positions, uh, a positional relationship, not so much with each other, but with God himself. So as, because as you know him, you're going to relate to him at different stages, right? I mean, the whole process of sanctification is about growing from grace to grace and glory to glory, from being, being increasingly stronger and more zealous in your, in your love for him and your faithfulness to him as you become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's, with the children, little children is a, is a favorite term. If you read through John's epistles, he uses it a lot as he's referring to the believers that he's talking to. But keep in mind that John by this time is around 90 years old. Everybody's a little kid to him. Right? Yeah. We've got, got one that's bumping up against that number here in the congregation. So, um, yeah, you know, he looks at them as his spiritual children. It's not a demeaning thing. It's a term of endearment. But I think you can make an application, and many uh, commentators do, that this is kind of speaking of those who are in their walk with Christ or maybe kind of the younger ones in their walk with Christ. 
new believers. They're just learning. Um, and when you're, when you're new at something, there can be uncertainties, particularly if you're struggling with sin and so on. <clears throat> the, the whole matter of assurance of your salvation can really be an issue for many. Oh, you know, I've sinned. Oh, maybe the Lord doesn't love me anymore. And there's that kind of struggle. Uh, so I think the emphasis here upon the forgiveness of sins in connection with knowing God is why you see that it's kind of a, it's a parallelism that works together between these two verses that have to do with children. I am writing to you, little children, and I write to you, children, because you know the Father is tied in with your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Forgiveness and knowledge are connected. To know the Father is to be forgiven. But I think the, the very term little children suggests something, and I, it's kind of a governing thing, which I forgot to mention as I was started on this point. I got excited about the little children aspect. But when you know him, I, I think John is, is suggesting to them, your knowledge needs to be in humility, in a state of humility. We view ourselves as little children. Of course, if I went around the room here, there are some who have been believers for decades. There are some who have been believers for a considerably shorter amount of time. Some of you haven't lived decades yet. Um, but uh, I would say to you who have known the Lord Jesus Christ for decades, um, you know everything yet? Are you fully matured yet? Even our almost 90-year-old? No. Um, there's, we need to come before the Lord, we're always going to be coming before Him in a, in, we should always be coming before Him in a state of humility. State of humility. Um, I'm looking at my time and it's like, wow, where did it go? Uh, and I've got half of this to go. I hate to stop here. It's in the middle of this. But maybe this is actually a good place to stop. Um, to, to, to just dwell a little bit on this aspect of knowing God um, humbly. And to come before him as, as little children with a, a, a simple faith that's dependent upon him. This is part of loving him. When... Um, Okay, so, all right, most of you, um, pretty much everybody uh, has met Gunner, my, you know, my dog. Um, and Vance Bronson's will remember this about him too. He, he, Gunner, most of the time, is a humble pup. He just wants to, he just wants to please you. He is never happier than when he is just looking at you adoringly in the face. And um, he gets up on my lap and he just, I say something to him and he just looks at me and he plops his head on my stomach and goes, oh. <laughs> and I'm a goner, okay? Just, like, that's why he's now my dog because I, he looked at me that way and that was it. I just, um, but that, that dog just wants to, Try to crawl inside your skin. Some of you have had pets that do that. 
It's like, I just want to know you. I just want to be part of you. I just want to be one with you. And just, I'm just here, just pet me. You know, I'm here I am. And, and uh, I just want to be with you. That kind of, and, and oh, and he, he's, he's excited when you go for walks and stuff. He wants to run ahead, but then he stops and he goes, are you coming? You know, he's looking around and he's, he's like, oh, no, no, he's going, oh, master's going a different direction. Okay, I'm going to go over here and uh, he'll get ahead a little bit. Then he'll look back, make sure that I'm coming or not, whatever the case may be. But that's, that, he, that's the kind of humility we need to, to have before the Lord, that we're constantly looking at him saying, Lord, is this the way you want me to go? Nope, okay, we'll go this way. Wait, whatever you want, just, I just adore you. I just want to be with you. I just want your love. That's, that's kind of the vein that John is writing to the believers here, of knowing, of, of, of loving God by seeking to know him. And know, in this particular case, knowing him through his forgiveness and the establishment of the relationship uh, with him. So we're going to pick up with the other two. Um, so with that in mind, you might be able to think about then how we're going to approach the fathers and the young men. But I will uh, just give you a hint here on this. We'll look at, we're going to be looking at fathers as those who are old in Christ. There will be some particular applications for leadership that we'll take a look at. And those who are the young men, uh, this is speaking of those who are in the prime of their life. I, I'm kind of looking at this as those who, those who are the point of the spear in terms of the life of the church and the ministry of the church in the world. Um, perhaps the most visible, the most active. And we'll be looking at, at uh, some of the implications of that. Uh, please note where the source of strength is and ask your question, ask yourself the question, why does he repeat the words to the fathers exactly two times with no variation? He varies the others, but he doesn't vary the fathers. So ask yourself that, meditate upon that, and I think you'll find it profitable. So we love God by seeking him out and truly seeing him in his creation and in the, those with, uh, that he has chosen. It's one of the blessings of, of the church. And seeing his way revealed in his word, following him along in such a way that we don't cause others to stumble and that we walk faithfully before him ourselves. And uh, that will come as we know him more and more and we will only know him more and more if we come uh, humbly before him. And with that, we'll stop for this morning and God willing, we'll pick this up again at this point next week. Let's pray. Our gracious God, thank you for your faithfulness, for your love for us. Lord, help us to love you. Help us to love you as the Apostle John exhorts us to love you more than we love the world. In fact, help us to not find any attraction in the corruptions of the world that are around us. But Lord, let us long for holiness, purity, and delight in your presence. We thank you, Father, that you enable us to do these things. We know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, help us to see you. Help us to love those whom you love. Help us, Father, to um, seek you out and truly know you. 
with every part of our being. We thank you, Father, for what you will do in our hearts and in our lives in the days to come. Let our testimony before the world be that of one who is truly yours, heart, soul, and mind. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, as we come to uh, prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, let's sing a familiar hymn that's, that's often done um, before or after um, um, celebrating communion together. Um, in this particular case, I had that in mind, but also with this, uh, the message that we've talked about here this morning of the, of the love for brethren and demonstrating our love for God by loving others. Uh, let's sing this, this prayer that asks for the Lord's uh, blessing upon uh, the, the love that